Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Already more than 12,000 votes have been received. Votes by artists and artisans, stars and technicians alike, from all the manifold activities of Hollywood. Votes counted and recorded in the strictest privacy by public accountants. And Hollywood talks of little else as the evening approaches. The Academy Dinner. Come with me, Mr. and Mrs. Audience, and you, Tommy, and Mary, too, to the Coconut Grove in the Ambassador Hotel. See for yourself, and be conscious, as I am, of the outstanding mood of this brilliant gathering. Suspense. Who will win the Academy Awards? The tension grows and grows. Little else is thought of, little else discussed. For not one whisper of Hollywood's choices has been allowed to escape. Everybody's here. Everybody's curious, covetous, envious perhaps, but excited. For dearly cherished is the recognition by our fellow workers of our efforts. Remember, I am Oscar, the ultimate glory in Hollywood's success. This is Hollywood's big night. The night dreams are made of. Because on Academy Award night, they see the culmination of all the efforts of the past year, whether they be actors or actresses, directors, producers, whatever it is. This is the big night. Yes, good evening, everyone. Last night was the big night. Can you believe it? It seems like as soon as we were starting this Oscar season, it's over. <laughs> But yes, good evening, everyone. It is Monday, February 25th, 2019, and we are live on the air here on blogtalkradio.com. This is Oscar Oscar, and it's our final show for the Oscar season, uh, the 91st Oscars post-show, as I've traditionally done for now 12 seasons. It's time to recap uh, last night's Oscar show, uh, give my reactions on everything that happened, even include some of your reactions. Uh, to what you thought about the Oscar choices and the Oscar show itself, and especially this season. It's been quite an interesting Oscar season, so we were all kind of looking forward to what kind of Oscar show that they would put on. Uh, so before we get started, here are some of the highlights uh, from some of the best moments or most, most talked about moments, uh, whichever they might be, from last night's Academy Awards. Good evening and welcome to the One Millionth Academy Awards. We are not your hosts, but we're going to stand here a little too long so that the people who get USA Today tomorrow will think that we host it. That's great. That's great. So just a quick update for everybody in case you're confused. There is no host tonight. There won't be a popular movie category, and Mexico is not paying for the wall. We will be presenting commercials during the awards. 
This is the first Oscar in nomination for Hannah Beekler. She is the first African American to be nominated in this category. This is the first win and third nomination for Jay Hart. He was previously nominated in this I'm an example of what it looks like when support and love is poured into someone. The Academy, thank you. Um, I want to thank Dr. Shirley for uh, just trying to capture his essence. Uh, just trying to capture Dr. Shirley's essence pushed me to my, my end. <laughs> Members of the Movie Academy come from across the globe. So it is truly fitting that this year, foreign language films are not just recognized. No hay fronteras, no hay muros que frenen el ingenio y el talento. I want to thank the Academy for recognizing a film centered around an indigenous woman, one of the 70 million domestic workers in the world without work. David Rabinowitz and Kevin Wilmot, it's the first win and fifth nomination for Spike Lee. The 2020 presidential election is around the corner. Let's do the right thing. Oh, my God. Uh, my mom is in here somewhere. Uh, oh, I, oh, I love you. I love you, lady. My family, thank you for all of this. Um, I, I may not have been the obvious choice, but I guess it worked out. Uh, we made a film about a gay man, an immigrant who uh, lived his life just unapologetically himself. And the fact that I'm celebrating him and this story with you tonight is, is proof that we're longing for, for stories like this. I want to thank all of the nominees in this category for the extraordinary worlds, worlds that they built this year. So honored to be a part of that. I want to thank the Academy. Thank you so much. It is your time. Show me my respect and bow down. In the about winning but what it's about is not giving up if you have a dream fight for it this is hilarious <laughs> <Gone off. laughs> um i just spend quite a lot of my time imagining this oh please wrap up right okay and um uh, thank you and my husband ed Aloha, and thank you to the members of the Academy. It's uh, such a privilege. So just some of the highlights that we'll be talking about tonight from last night's Academy Awards ceremony. So, uh, But let's get this out of the way at the top of the show. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audibletrial.com slash Oscar Oscar. That's audibletrial.com slash Oscar Oscar. 
And trust me, that, that actually does get me a little advertising revenue. So, I mean, if you're, if you're just looking to get an audio book, I mean, you know, why not use that URL and, you know, help a fellow guy out. So, anyway, it is the day after the Oscars, so it's time to recap what last night's Oscar show was like. Um, this was probably one of the most talked about Academy Awards, uh, you know, going back to, back to the summer when they were announcing all these kinds of changes they wanted to do. Um, and then all the ideas that they threw out there and said they were going to do, and then the outcry came and they rescinded it. So it was like, what kind of Oscar show are we going to end up having? So, uh, well, uh, I will get to that in a little bit. But first, like I always like to do, I always like to look at our predictions special and see how the four of us did on our predictions. Well, we didn't do that great. <laughs> our best predictor ended up being Mark Johnson. And as he was saying himself, this is a pretty – this is a lower total for him. Uh, he did 16 out of 24 categories correct. Um, I had 15 out of 24 categories correct, which is kind of the low for me. Usually I average around the 16 mark. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I changed, you know, and I even mentioned on the prediction special that I changed some of these at the last minute. And there was at least three categories that I changed on the very last day of doing our predictions. Um, and if I would have stayed with them, uh, probably would have done better in our Oscar pool and certainly better on my predictions, too. But And then Garney and Jamie both tied getting 14 corrections predict corrections or predictions correct uh, from our Oscar prediction special. So I again want to thank those uh, three guys for joining me uh, for the Oscar prediction special. Uh, this certainly was a challenging year to predict. I guess we say that every year, doesn't it? It seems like every year we say that, you know, this is such a challenging year, but it, it seems lately with the Academy membership changing and the addition of the preferential ballot system, you know, that the Oscars have become uh, more difficult to predict, and it seems like a while since we've had like one of those years where we have like a Schindler's List or something that is just a sure, sure thing in the Best Picture race. And of course, this was the, 2018 was the kind of year where we just had so many different types of films that had their ardent fans and they had critics. And at the end of it all, Green Book won Best Picture. Yes. Our three, three of our predictors went ahead and predicted that, and I was the one holding out for Roma, but uh, we'll get to that later. So the big question about the Oscar show, since one of the biggest things that the Academy has been doing with all these changes has been to try to increase ratings for the show. Uh, the very early ratings said that the Oscar show last night did rebound a bit with some double-digit gains, uh, that ABC's broadcast was up more than 10% uh, from the previous year's show, which was an all-time low for the show. Um, ABC's broadcast of the awards averaged 29.6 million viewers last night, which is an 11.5% gain over the year before. It scored a 7.7 rating among adults 18 to 49, which was a 13% gain versus last year. The broadcast was the most watched entertainment telecast on TV since the 2017 Oscars and the highest rated non-sports program since the post-Super Bowl This Is Us in 2018. But you also look at the Oscar ratings. They're still the second smallest on record for the Oscars. Um, so the Oscars are still kind of struggling with the ratings, but uh, I think in this day and age, I think that's going to be a continual kind of thing because it's just just in our in our way that we consume entertainment these days, uh, live events. There's just not as many of them anymore, and not as many people that are interested in watching live events anymore. Most of the people just wait till the next day, watch the moments you know that are most worthy of being caught up on. So. I'm hoping that the Academy may learn something and just learn that 
instead of trying to continue to pander to getting ratings, that they give us the best show possible. So we'll talk about it in a little bit if we think that it, it was the best show possible. Um, so, hang on just a second. I got my notes kind of strewn all over the place. Um, hang on. Oh, yeah, okay, here we go. So how did the films do here on Oscar night? Um, well, like I said, it was representative of 2018, uh, such a fractured year and different camps for different films. So it ended up that Bohemian Rhapsody ended up being the film to walk away with the most Oscars of the night, and one of them was not Best Picture. It walked away with four Academy Awards last night, the biggest one being the Best Actor win for Rami Malek, which most of us had predicted. Uh, then the other three came in the uh, smaller categories, the two sound categories, uh, and film editing. And then uh, Black Panther, Roma, and Green Book each walked away with three Oscars. Uh, Black Panther doing very well, uh, becoming the first uh, Marvel superhero film to win any Academy Award, uh, and set history certainly as well in the production design and costume design awards, and kind of surprisingly took the Music Original Score Academy Award. Roma, my favorite film of the year, alas, did not win Best Picture, but Afonso Caron did – Caron, I'm going to get this right after Garney corrected me. Alfonso Caron did walk away with three personal Oscars, uh, having a great night, uh, winning Best Cinematography, uh, winning Best Foreign Film, uh, and winning for uh, – what am I missing? Oh, Best Director, yeah. So, I mean, still, you know, you certainly can't – you know, Alfonso cannot be – you know, really that upset, winning three Oscars for the night. Roma was still embraced. And then, of course, Green Book, uh, one of the film, you know, one of the best picture winners that will go down in history is one of the ones to win the fewest total Oscars, only winning three total. But they were pretty big ones, uh, winning best picture, of course, the biggest of them all, uh, best supporting actor for Mahershala Ali, which we expected, and taking a screenplay Oscar as well. And then the the one Oscar was spread out to um, – each of the other Best Picture nominees, too, as well as a couple of their films. Black Klansman did walk away with one very key Oscar. Spike Lee finally won an Academy Award for Adapted Screenplay. A Star is Born did walk away with the original song Oscar as expected. The Favorite, of course, you know, we thought it was starting to look like The Favorite was going to go away without any Oscars at all, but probably gave us the biggest upset of the night and the biggest surprise with Olivia Coleman winning Best Actress. Vice walked away with one award, the one we expected for makeup and hairstyling. And if Beale Street could talk and First Man, each also walked away with one Oscar. So, so again, you know, without an overwhelming favorite, you know, Oscars were spread out, you know, throughout the night. So, so before I get to my opinion of the night, um, I haven't done this kind of thing in a while. You know, I used to always have the Monday movie question uh, to get feedback from everybody on what on various movie questions. And so tonight I wanted to uh, redo that. Because I wanted to hear some of your opinions on what you thought of last night's Academy Awards. And we got some good feedback. We did this on Facebook tonight. So let me just bring up my Facebook so I can bring up all the latest posts. So my question tonight was, what did you think of last night's Oscars? And what were your favorite or worst moments? Um, so the first one we got was Ryan Turner, good friend Ryan Turner. Um, his favorite was Regina winning worst Green Book winning best picture. Yeah, I knew Ryan was – he was trumpeting Regina King you know, all season long, and that was the one he was most looking forward to, and that was the first award of the night. Um, so I knew he had a great night after that. 
Um, Jubal Dizelle seconded that um, after that. And then Ryan added, they started out great, was the best ever. Then they opened the final envelope and walked backward 30 years. <laughs> so um, and then uh, Jubal Dizelle added, where was Love, Simon? That was one of his favorite films of this year. Uh, he added that if you are a gay teenager, it was easily the best picture of the year. That's a fact straight from his kid. And uh, yeah, Jubal, I have to add, I didn't see that film, um, hadn't heard much about it. But um, if you watch Roma, I guess I can make that deal that I'll watch uh, Love, Simon. Daniel Bamberg, the essay of the night, so let's see what Daniel said. I didn't watch, but I have an opinion. That opinion is formed from the exact reason or one of the many reasons I didn't watch for the first time ever. The reaction of the Green Book win. I haven't seen Green Book. It's one of the two I haven't seen. The favorite being number two is I have no interest in monarchy stories. But here's the thing. Are people upset because it was not a good film or because it doesn't fit their political agendas? Filmmaking is storytelling. It isn't political theater. Sometimes a film naturally is political, but it shouldn't be judged on its politics. I've heard there are some issues with its authenticity. In a year that nominated Bohemian Rhapsody, which was authorized by Queen and yet full of historic, historical error, followed by Selma and the Butler a few years back being full of error, why is this an issue now? We need film that makes us feel. We need film that makes us think. We can't do that by following a groupthink line of how to feel and think. Three Billboards from last year suffered similar issues last year, and not only did I find that to be the film of the year last year, but I found it to be honest in its approach to the human condition. I actually know people just like those characters. Watching the Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper performance, I am reminded of Hollywood's former magic. Their chemistry is reflective of why I watched movies to begin with, to feel magic. That's why that film stood above the pack for me this year. And to realize I haven't felt like that watching a film in probably a decade or more, I realized that Hollywood had actually become a stale, fraudulent wasteland. I want magic again. I have to deal with Donald Trump, hate, bigotry, injustice, and bad news every day in the real world. Movies should be important when they need to be, but also should be magical experiences. Lumping political agendas over accolades in a show that celebrated accolades is mind-numbing. I got to say, Daniel, well said, um, especially a lot of that stuff about the, the magic of movies and wanting that as well. Um, and uh, more of my upset over Green Book winning Best Picture, which I'll get to later in the show, is certainly not from a political standpoint, I think it's more from a quality standpoint. Um, Jubal Dazelle, like a little conversation continued under that. Jubal said, all that is true, but if you make a story based on actual people, you should at least try to tell the truth mostly. Um, and then uh, uh, Daniel was trying to bring up Bohemian Rhapsody, and Jubal said, good point, but those were okayed at least by the band. And as a music journalist, I found most of it to be true, even if some facts were fudged to fit the story. The Green Book problem would be like if they didn't let Freddie be gay. The makers of Green Book never even reached out to his family, and that's indicative of some of the controversy around Green Book. Okay, Martha, I'm going to get your name wrong. I apologize if you're listening. Martha Zigomanis Minso, let's see, Minso Pulis, Minso, Minsopolis. <laughs> Sorry about that, Martha, but if it helps any, I massacre people's names on the Oscar prediction special all the time. But Martha said, Jason, Rami's speech was absolutely perfect. Bohemian Rhapsody should have won Best Movie. As I grew up during Queen's success from the early 70s, it was reincarnated. It was bringing me back to the incredible sounds that each band member put together. Rami, he was Freddie like no other. It was perfection. Yes, the world needs to know about what Green Book was trying to say. However, it's not the world. Media makes equality seems as it's not happening. Well, the world has evolved. Workplace, countries, change is happening everywhere and has been. However, Bohemian Rhapsody was real also, and it was about a man, a band, that took sound to extreme limits to make people feel good. The world loved them. It was all around brilliant, and this 51-year-old truly related to it, my opinion. Thank you, Martha, for sharing that. Raymond Johnson, good to hear from you, said his best moments were Lady Gaga and Sir Bradley Cooper duet. Is Bradley Cooper a sir? <laughs> That's probably coming. 
The worst was Rami Malek falling off the stage. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> A queen touch there. Funniest, Melissa McCarthy and the rabbits. Lisa Sims. Good to hear from you, Lisa, and I knew what you would say. Best thing ever right here, and she posted Olivia Coleman's acceptance speech. As everyone already knows, with the amount of Olivia Coleman and the favorite gifts I've used over the past few weeks, getting my point across. Yes, Lisa was incredibly excited about Olivia Coleman's win as the favorite was her favorite film of the year. And Raymond agreed, Lisa Sims, definitely one of the best acceptance speeches ever. Aurora Patricia Acosta Aloya, good to hear from you, my friend. I like the experiment of not having a host. Hollywood is supposedly a place full of talented people dedicated to entertain. Why not using them for entertainment's biggest night? It makes it even more friendly, more agile, and less boring. I'm satisfied with the wins, especially Rami and Gaga. Stacy Grevin Cecil said, I thought it was a little weird to see Serena Williams represent A Star is Born. Didn't get the connection. I absolutely love the show overall with no host. I'm tied for my favorite moments. Number one is the opening with Adam Lambert and Queen. It seemed to have surprised everyone and loved the standing ovation. So wish I was there. Number two is a lot of people's favorite, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper singing Shallow. I don't believe that there's anything going on between them. I think they're amazing performers and that song. I mean, that song is amazing. Once I hear it, it gets stuck in my head for days. I don't think I'll ever get sick of that song. Thank you, LG, for writing it. It's movie magic when you can watch a great movie and have a song like that. To which Jeannie Sconzo said, I did not know why Serena presented that either. I thought that was what Streisand was going to do, was shocked she presented for Spike. Then Lisa Sims added on, also best, no host. I think it worked. Starting the show out with Adam Lambert and Queen, loved it. Also Gaga and Bradley Cooper, powerful. Spike Lee finally winning. His shoes, epic. Worst, I'll get on the Green Book bandwagon. It was a decent movie, but nothing like Black Klansman. Vice, Roma, The Favorite, etc. Also, I was sad for Glenn a little bit, even though I was over the moon about Olivia. As previously stated, I told you all that might happen. <laughs> yes, Lisa, you were, you were saying that was a possibility. But I think I added also on the prediction special that I said Olivia was a possibility. Lydia Clements said the best thing, not having a host. No awful jokes that pandered to the audience all night. Sweet Lord, I'd be happy if the Oscars never had a host again. It was refreshing to focus on what the Oscars should be all about, the movies. Worst thing, the movies. The movies. The movies that were nominated were such a letdown compared to past years. To echo what everyone's been saying, yes, Green Book winning Best Picture was a disgrace. Green Book somehow felt like an antiquated choice, yet it wouldn't stand a chance against past Best Picture winners, such as The Godfather or One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Hell, Green Book wouldn't even have a chance at more recent winners, such as The Shape of Water or Birdman. But to me, the reason Green Book won Best Picture this year is because there was no other clear winner. Think about it. Of all the nominees, no one film had it all. Bohemian Rhapsody was a fun biopic, but it was filled with technical and historical hiccups. The favorite, though well-performed, fell flat in its screenwriting. Roma was a beautiful memoir, but it lagged and, quite frankly, didn't make a very strong impact on its viewers. My point here is no Green Book didn't deserve to win Best Picture, but I didn't really feel like any of the other nominees got robbed either. Rather, I feel that we, the moviegoers, were robbed all year in 2018. Hashtag rant over. Very interesting perspective. Uh, Steve McLaren said, into the Spider-Verse 1, Bradley Cooper got snubbed for Best Director, even as a nomination. So I'm not sure if that's his worst or best moments there, Steve. <laughs> Lydia Clements added a PS, first man and first reform being almost completely snubbed also makes me want to vomit. Emily Krasik, Regina's and Olivia's speeches, also Aquafina. Jen White, Carone taking an Oscar for work done by Galo Olivieras was definitely the low point. Faith Bruner, my baby, thank you. She said, God, I love that performance of Shallow by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. The connection they have together on screen is amazing. I love how there is not one moment where you don't believe them, and they're beautiful, my favorite part by far. I also thought the night went more smoothly than it has in the past with hosts. I'm not against them having a host again if they could make it go that well. Well said. Jacob Action Jackson Atkinson said, giving up on Willem Dafoe ever getting to win anything. 
Also felt like Black Panther was oddly nominated for a ton of things despite being a middle-of-the-road movie. And Jeremy Croson had the funniest response tonight. My favorite Oscars moment from last night was when Candace asked, are the Oscars tonight? And I replied, I don't know, maybe. And then we kept watching what we were already watching, <laughs> which I assume was not the Oscars. Ah. So let me make sure there were no other last-minute responses while I was reading that. And no, that is it. So thank you, all of you, for sharing your thoughts on last night's uh, Oscar show. So let's get to mine. And as I usually do, um, I'm going to step through the show, uh, offer my feedback on all the various moments. Uh, first, just a summary response. Um, I really enjoyed it last night. I thought it was a entertaining Oscar show. Um, I actually think not having a host was worked very well. Uh, it certainly helped cut down the length of the show. I think the actual final length was somewhere between, depending on where you started and ended, um, at three hours, 13 minutes, or three hours, 20 minutes, somewhere around there, which was much shorter than last year's show and the last more recent shows, which tended to run about three hours and, you know, to 40 or 50 minutes long, almost four hour show. Um, of course, you know, I've always been here saying that the length of the show shouldn't be a concern anyway, but the show did move briskly um, without seeming too hurriedly rushed. Um, I'm not willing to say that at this point, I'm not sure what I think about you know, should the Oscars go, you know, because a lot of people were saying that today, and you heard it in some of the responses from some of your responses tonight, that that a lot of you would be happy without a host. A lot of people were saying that, like, it doesn't really miss a host. Um, and I could see that happening. I mean, you look at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, I think for a number of years, it was only recently that they added a host. Um, and the Oscars certainly could survive without one. Because uh, pretty much after the opening monologue, you know, um, then it's just the host kind of comes back in every so often to kind of comment on things, um, you know, but they could do that with other people too. Uh, so I don't know what I think yet. Um, like I said, I think it worked last night, um, but it's one of those things that I probably have to, because I mean, I, I do like thinking back to a lot of the Oscar hosts of the past um, provided so many great moments. Um, and sometimes it is good to have someone that is kind of steering the ship in other words, but uh, you know, for, for a year in which we were having all kinds of different kind of possibilities for the Academy Awards and, you know, worried about the show going off the rails, um, I think doing without a host actually kind of worked to the advantage of the show. Um, so, so yeah, overall, I thought it was entertaining. I definitely thought there were a lot of great speeches. Um, that's one of the best things. We had one of the worst Oscar speeches, which I'll get to when we go through it. But that was like a rare thing. I mean, most of these people knew how to get up there and give, you know, there was a lot of emotion on the stage. And there was a total of 19 standing ovations, which was pretty extraordinary. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, like wonderful acceptance of a lot of these winners. You know, people were very enthused to see a lot of these films and people winning. So that was great, you know, because one of the things that I've always criticized the Academy Awards for are people that kind of make it so blasé, you know, that it's not that important. Um, but thankfully, that was not on display last night. Um, so let's kind of go through the evening uh, with last night's 91st Oscars. Uh, the Academy's official pre-show uh, was, again, nothing too extraordinary. Um, you know, I always like it when they finally do go inside the theater, um, you know. But, you know, it's, it's pretty much a standard arrival show, but at least it's not E!, but for the first time, you know, I've always criticized Ryan Seacrest and E's coverage, you know, because I feel like they make it a lot more superficial. Um, 
you know, and then what happened, uh, Ryan Seacrest actually did double duty uh, when I saw him hop over from E's coverage over to the official ABC show. So Ryan Seacrest all over the place. We can't, we can't ignore him. So I thought it was a brilliant opening to have Queen open the show. Um, I mean, especially when you don't have a host. I mean, talk about a way to really get the Oscars going. It kind of reminded me of, you know, I think it was maybe a couple years ago when Justin Timberlake opened the show with his nominated song, um, walking through the Dolby Theater from outside into the theater and getting the crowd going. Um, I think that's actually a very brilliant way, um, and especially when it ties in so well to a film. Um, but to have the band Queen there with Adam Lambert uh, performing, you know, two Queen songs, um, and you saw the audience on their feet, I loved the reaction shots of people seeing Glenn Close and Javier Bardem was really, you know, rocking it. I mean, everybody was having a great time. Um, so I thought that was a great, great way to open the show with Queen. Um, and a perfect tie-in to, like I said, every year it wouldn't probably work that way to have such a great musical connection to a film, but uh, certainly taking advantage of it this year and having a band like Queen perform um, really got everybody going and got it excited. So that was that was a great choice. Um, then it went from that to an opening montage, which is kind of one of the things the Oscars usually does um, going through the year's films. Um, so as montages go, I didn't think it was that extraordinary, especially when they were showing a lot of films that weren't nominated, <laughs> you know, which I guess is an attempt to kind of show, well, hey, we are kind of trying to acknowledge the other movies that we had this year. Um, so, uh, but, you know, probably could have done without that little opening montage. Uh, then the first presenters to come out were Tina Fey, Maya Rudolph, and Amy Poehler, which you heard in part of the clip saying, coming out and saying, welcome to the one millionth Oscars. And so many people, again, it seems like every time Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are on the Oscars, uh, there's always, you know, saying, let them host. <laughs> um, you know, because they're, they're always so good. Uh, so they had the joke about, you know, if they stand on stage long enough, people will think they are hosts. But they kind of got it off to a good start, you know, had a few jokes. They kind of, they kind of were serving the function of doing the opening monologue that we would usually get uh, from an Oscar host. And then uh, they were there to actually present an award uh, for supporting actress, which I thought was interesting because I knew that all four previous winners were coming back. So I was kind of curious. I was like, hmm, so why is not last year's Best Supporting Actor coming back to present Supporting Actress? But I guess this was a way also to kind of cut down on the time to have – you know, an introduction to the show and then go right into the first award. And then Best Supporting Actress uh, was presented to Regina King for In Beale Street Could Talk. You know, this was one that we all predicted was going to happen, and it was so great to see, you know, because, again, she gave an incredible speech, um, and you could just tell, you know, of, of how much this win meant to her. So it was a great first award uh, to give out for the night for sure. Uh, then uh, Jason Momoa and Helen Mirren came out on stage, uh, to present the next award, they presented Best Documentary Feature, uh, and this was the one in the prediction special. I said I should have gone with my with my gut on it, you know, because it was the one that I was looking at. Like Free Solo did win, and uh, and I like in my heart I felt it was the best documentary of the nominees. Um, of course, I'm still mad about the fact that Won't You Be My Neighbor wasn't nominated, but you know, so many a couple of us predicted that RBG was going to win because of the political climate and. You know that it's, but they made the right decision. The Academy did actually make the right decision in documentary feature and gave it to Free Solo. So of those choices, um, I certainly thought that Free Solo certainly deserved uh, to win Best Documentary Feature. Uh, next up was Tom Morello, and uh, 
he was there to introduce the film Vice. So I guess one of the things that the Academy decided to do this year with the introductions of the Best Picture nominees, um, which again, if I'm if I'm thinking of a time-saving thing, I think they could cut this down, you know, because I, you know, well, it's nice to kind of celebrate each of the Best Pictures with clips. Like I feel like they could do this at the end, uh, at the Best Picture time, to just show a few clips at that point, um, you know. But it, it was kind of interesting, but kind of confusing too, um, with some of the choices that came out to present. Um, you know, and introduce each of the Best Picture nominees. But he was there to introduce Vice, and we had some clips from that. Um, then the next presenters were Elsie Fisher, so great in eighth grade, and Stefan James. Uh, they came out to present Makeup and Hairstyling, which timed really well coming after the introduction of the film Vice, uh, and the Makeup and Hairstyling Oscar did go to Vice, probably one of the few easy categories that we had uh, to predict this year. Thank God Vice did win something last night. Um, then probably the most hilarious presenters came out. Uh, that was Brian Turee Henry and Melissa McCarthy coming out to present Best Costume Design. And they walked out dressed up in these hilarious over-the-top costumes. And Melissa McCarthy probably got the most laughs for the little bunnies on her costume, you know, uh, which was a reflection of the bunnies and the favorite. And they had some great banter back and forth. And then costume design was the first, you know, kind of historical win of the night going to Black Panther, which, yes, I predicted. I was very happy about that. Um, you know, becoming the first African-American woman to win the Oscar for costume design. So that was a great, great moment um, to see. And then right on the heels of costume design, uh, Chris Evans and Jennifer Lopez came out to present uh, the best production design Oscar. And, and this is one we kind of went back and forth in predicting too. It was either going to be the favorite or Black Panther, and certainly an example of how the Academy is changing. You know, the production design we thought might go to the period drama that, and the favorite would have really deserved it too, but Black Panther, I was really happy to see that it won production design too. Um, and it was a huge standing ovation and another landmark historical win with the first African-American winner in this category for production design. Um, and I, I do have to mention, because I did skip over, uh, the Best Makeup and Hairstyling winners for Vice, they gave the absolute worst acceptance speech of the night. And this is an example of what we don't want to see. I mean, I've always had a problem with Oscar winners that they get up there, they pull out a piece of paper, and they start reading a lot of names. And the poor Makeup and Hairstyling nominees for Vice, I mean, and they were even making – like they were – I mean, it was like going on and on with these names, and then they were like speaking so slowly about it all. and you know, kind of fumbling it over it all. I mean, those of them, that's what we don't want to see from an acceptance speech. And, and yes, I, I know some of these people are not natural performers, but, you know, I guess, I, I don't know, I guess it's just me, but I, I just feel like, you know, if you win an Oscar or an award like that, like, how can you not speak from your heart, you know, like, and just, I know a lot of people get up there and they don't want to forget people's names. And I get that. Like, I certainly understand how in that moment, you know, like, it's most people get up there and they don't even remember, you know, but I don't know. It's just, it's always better. And I think more memorable for those of us that are just viewers. And even in the film industry, when people get up there and really speak from their heart. So, you know, and then I think when we had the winner of best production design up there for black Panther, uh, she actually read from her phone. And I think that was actually a first moment for an Oscar telecast. Most people bring out paper. She was kind of showing the new age. She was reading from her phone. Um, 
But the speeches that they gave, both the production design winner and costume design for Black Panther, were really, really great. And just them being such historic moments on their own uh, were really, really great to see. So Black Panther was off to a good start. Um, you know, and it was that point that I was even beginning to think, hey, I mean, maybe there even is going to be a chance here that Best Picture could go to Black Panther. So, uh, so the night was moving on. Tyler Perry came out to present Best Cinematography, and he was one of the first ones to address the, you know, the controversy over the fact that, that cinematography was going to be one of the awards presented during the commercials, which thankfully was rescinded. And this one went as most of us predicted. It was Alfonso Coron's, I get that right, first award for Roma. And that was so great to see him getting up there. And I do want to address, I mean, a Jen White friend of mine, a cinematographer friend of mine, you know, has been bringing up for a while that Alfonso Coron was not the sole cinematographer on Roma. And this is something I do want to read more about um, because I, I'm, I don't quite understand it, like why they would not be acknowledging if there was another cinematographer on this film. So, so Jen, I'm aware of the issue, and I do want to read more about it um, because, yes, that would, that would be a very confusing and kind of sad thing that if there was another cinematographer on this film um, that deserved that honor as to why she's not being honored would, would be something that would be very confusing. So, but this was still a landmark thing being the first uh, director of a film to win uh, cinematography uh, for shooting his own film. So, so Alfonso was off to a, a start with Roma finally on the board. Um, next up, after cinematography, Amelia Clark came out uh, after she had played Ruth Bader Ginsburg in a fictional film. She was a perfect person to introduce uh, the first uh, performance of a nominated song that night, I'll Fight from RBG, performed by Jennifer Hudson. And I didn't think the performance was that extraordinary. I know a lot of people don't really like that song. I think the song itself is actually pretty good, but something about that performance, sometimes live performances of some of these songs don't come off that well, and I didn't, I didn't think Jennifer Hudson's performance came off that well. And I had this thought that like maybe there would be a surprise that Ruth Bader Ginsburg might actually come out um, uh, afterward, but wasn't to be. And I know she hasn't been well, but um, so we got the first performance. And I'll address this at the first because I had a couple questions about this today as to why there were only four nominated songs performed last night. Um, the song for Black Panther, All the Stars, was not performed, and the reason that was is because Kendrick Lamar, um, I think he's in Europe, and uh, he he was saying that he didn't think he could get together a performance, a good performance in time for the ceremony, and the Academy thought that you know, instead of just getting someone else to perform it, that it was so directly connected to Kendrick Lamar. Um, so that's why that song wasn't performed. Um, but I know that's probably confusing to a lot of people um, as to why that song wasn't performed, but that was the reason why. So then with, there was a, it was time for another uh, presenter of a Best Picture nominee, and this is where Serena Williams came out, a uh, tennis star, to introduce A Star is Born. And the, this was kind of confusing because knowing that Barbara Streisand was going to be there uh, that night, I really thought she was going to introduce A Star is Born. I just thought that would be such a more perfect, you know, being that she starred in the last incarnation of A Star is Born. Um, so, again, just a little confusing uh, in some of these presenters. For uh, But Serena Williams introduced A Star is Born. And then it was time for the Sound Awards. Uh, so the next presenters came out. Uh, hang on. 
I'm going to get this name wrong, Dana Guria, Danai Guria, and James McAvoy. It's weird, that, and it's, I, I guess it's sad that I don't know some of these presenters who they were either. Uh, they came out to present uh, sound editing uh, first, and I really liked how these two presenters introduced sound editing. You know, they kind of modified their voices as they introduced each of the films, which I thought was kind of cool. I've got to remember that for my prediction special next year. Uh, and the Sound Editing Award went to Bohemian Rhapsody. That was another prediction that I changed at the last minute. I was thinking, some of us were thinking that A Quiet Place being, you know, one of the only, no, the only nominations for A Quiet Place and a film that was so much about sound uh, would actually win, but I should have stuck with Bohemian Rhapsody because they did do, you know, where both sound awards did go to the same film uh, because then right after that, sound mixing went to Bohemian Rhapsody. So, um Kind of as most had expected, and even as I expected, but just didn't stick with my predictions. Uh, so then, next up was uh, Queen Latifah, and she introduced uh, the next Best Picture nominee, uh, talking about The Favorite and showing clips from that film. Um, and I guess that connection being Queen, Queen Latifah, Queen and The Favorite. Then it was time to present Best Foreign Film, and uh, Javier Bardem and Angela Bassett came out. And uh, Javier Bardem delivered his part of his uh, presentation in Spanish, and you heard a little bit in the highlights reel at the beginning. Uh, and he was basically – they both gave such great points about um, about international cinema, you know, and especially seeing how Roma and films like Cold War, you know, how they reached into other categories. And foreign language films were not just relegated into one little category. But especially Javier Bardem mentioning how art breaks through walls and things like that. That was without directly um, mentioning Trump and attributing politics, mentioning something that is a very important um, concept and theme. Um, and as expected, this award uh, did go to Roma. And this is where I did kind of – because this, is, again, was one of the awards, and we talked about a little about the prediction special, that I thought if Cold War might have won for some reason, that maybe voters would be saving Roma for Best Picture. So when Roma did win Best Foreign Film, I did start to get the sense that, and especially with some of the momentum of Black Panther happening, Bohemian Rhapsody just having won a couple of awards, that that it might be tougher. And t I was beginning to doubt, you know, that Roma could actually win Best Picture. So, uh, but Best Foreign Film did go to Roma, and I got to give Alfonso Cuarón credit, uh, you know, because he won three Oscars last night and managed to, you know. Like I think he kind of knew and kind of planned so that he could deliver three different, you know, acceptance speeches, which was really good, and it was great to see him up there winning for such a great personal film and such a great epic cinematic achievement as well. So following Best Foreign Language Film, then Keegan Michael Key uh, actually made quite an appearance uh, to present the next Best Original Song nominee, The Place Where Lost Things Go, for Mary Poppins. Um, when he actually descended from the ceiling of the theater uh, with an umbrella like Mary Poppins himself, um, which actually went very smoothly. He looked very, uh, <laughs> you know, like it was well-practiced and everything. And uh, performing that song was Bette Midler with Mark Shaman on piano. And such a great moment to see uh, Bette Midler. I think she's 73, looked beautiful, performed wonderfully. I thought that was a really great moment. And especially when, you know, on Oscar telecast these days, we don't seem to get you know, a lot of the great golden, I can call them golden age of Hollywood or a lot of the older guard of Hollywood, I guess, since, you know, the Oscar show is about a lot of the, like I said, some of these presenters are people I didn't even know. <laughs> um, 
it's it was good to see someone kind of a legend uh coming up to present um a song and she got a much deserved standing ovation after that performance as well so that was that was really cool to see um let's see the next up we had trevor noah he came up to introduce the next best picture nominee black panther and that one kind of works because trevor noah did have a very very small part in the film which he did talk about on the uh, red carpet um then it was time for the film editing award and michael keaton came out to present that oscar and uh, this was another one that I changed at the last minute. I had Bohemian Rhapsody the whole time, and I, I kept thinking that it that this was gonna again gonna just fall under like you know giving Bohemian Rhapsody a number of technical awards, and sure enough, they did. Because um, I you know I switched it to Vice. I thought that Vice really deserved it, but Bohemian Rhapsody did end up walking away with um, the best film editing Oscar which I guess you could kind of look at that maybe they looked at it and said, you know, with such a troubled film with its director not being on the project, that the film editor had to put it together, which he did, you know, was able to do that. So anyway, so film editing did go to Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, this was followed by Daniel Craig and Charlize Theron walking out to the James Bond theme, and they were there to present the Best Supporting Actor Oscar. And man, I tell you, like, you know, all day yesterday, I was I was beginning to think, you know, there's going to be a surprise. There's going to be a shocker somewhere. There always is an Oscar night. And I just kept thinking it might be Richard E. Grant, you know, and, and he was so great to see on the red carpet, too. And, and there's some great pictures today of he was so excited for Barbara Streisand. I mean, I just I love seeing people in the film industry that are such fans, you know, and, and they're they're unabashedly, you know, just, you know, we've all talked about how great Richard E. Grant has been during this whole season. And it's almost a shame that the Oscar season's over because I want to just keep following this guy during Oscar season, you know? So I, I was really hoping that we'd see him win. Um, but this one is really a foregone conclusion. We all knew it was happening. Mahershala Ali did win Best Supporting Actor for Green Book, uh, winning this award again just, you know, two years after winning for Moonlight. Um, and Green Book was finally on the board uh, with that win. Um so then Laura Dern came out um, to – and I was glad they included this moment, actually. A lot of people might think that this was kind of an unnecessary moment, but you know, I've, I've long talked on the show about the Academy Museum that they are building in Los Angeles, um, which I think is projected to open later this year. But I love that they showed us sort of some film clips of the museum, its progress, and talking about what the museum is going to be. Uh, because I, for one, am so excited when this museum is finished. Uh, that's what I talked about will be my next visit to L.A. However, I can work it in with maybe some other trip or something, but I'm going to see that museum in L.A. Um, and I donated to it as well, so I believe my name is going to be in there somewhere. So, <laughs> But uh, I was really glad to see the Oscar show include that um, because it was it was good for the, the audience to know that the Academy is doing much more than just putting on an awards show once a year. So very, very cool to see. Next up was Pharrell Williams wearing shorts, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he was there to present with Michelle Yohe. Uh They presented the Oscar for Best Animated Feature Film, and this was the one that we had all predicted, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, becoming one of the very few instances where a Disney Pixar film was beaten um, by a film that was almost universally regarded as one of the really great, not just animated films of the year, but films of the year as well. Uh, then uh, Casey Musgraves came out to introduce the next Best Song nominee, 
when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, performed by Gillian Welch and David Rawlings. Um, and I, I really thought this was a core performance of this song. Um, and I know a lot of people kind of criticize the inclusion of the song, even in the best original song category. Um, I thought the song was okay itself, but this is another example of how they kind of changed it up for a live performance. And I thought it sounded horrible. I mean, I just, I thought it was just a terrible, terrible performance. Um, but anyway, the song was performed. Uh, then, uh, and I kind of expected that this moment was going to come that the, the two that would introduce, uh, the best picture nominee Bohemian Rhapsody would be Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Uh, it began with a film clip showing them from Wayne's world, which God, what, when did that movie come out? Like early nineties, maybe. Um, and then, you know, having those two come out together, uh, you know, doing their performances of Wayne and Garth, uh, you know, we're not worthy, that whole thing. Um, you know, they were kind of the perfect ones to kind of introduce Bohemian Rhapsody. So that was kind of pretty fun moment. Um, then uh, next up was Aquafina and John Mulaney, and they came out to present two of the short film Oscars. And um, I'm not sure why they didn't just present all three short film Oscars together, uh, but anyway. Um, but they first presented the Best Animated Short Oscar, and as most of us have predicted, it did go to the Pixar film Bow. Um, and, uh, and then next they presented the Best Documentary Short Oscar, and this win, as most have predicted, to period end of sentence, which was another win for Netflix. Um, and what I loved about these two award winners is they both gave really incredible acceptance speeches, and especially the winners for period end of sentence. Uh, they set up there, I can't believe that a film about menstruation just won an Oscar. But they had really, and which I know a lot of people laughed at, but they, they really had a great speech about you know, what the power of their film is and the importance of the film's message. And and again, this and I was glad to see some of the articles talking about, you know, this was a good case for still keeping these awards on the Oscar telecast, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, because what an opportunity it is, you know, for filmmakers that work on small budgets and they're making short films, you know, and these are films of great, often of great importance, uh, films of great entertainment, and it's where a lot of us are able to practice our art on smaller budgets and and it's great that you know we get programs now showing these short films so i really hope the academy never takes these out of the award ceremony because it's really the only awards show out there on this scale especially that honors and you know brings to light uh, these short films so really great acceptance speeches for both of these films um with that one um and then apparently during the commercial break, I went to go get food, and I came back, and I saw the tail end of the Irishman trailer, which I guess was the first trailer that we got for this film. And if anybody doesn't know what the Irishman is, it's Martin Scorsese's next film, which we've been waiting for for a long time, that has Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel. I mean, oh, God. And I know there wasn't much to the trailer. I did end up seeing it later in the evening after the show, but I hate that I missed it. But what I loved also about this, because I, I guess I'd missed this in most of the news about The Irishman, is that it's also going to be a Netflix-funded film. So in all the controversy, you know, and that was one of the things that I talked about this Oscar season, that you know, Roma, especially if it won Best Picture, was really going to be a test case to see if um, the Academy was going to embrace 
movies funded and made by Netflix, and Netflix is kind of becoming its own, you know, new release platform. So, uh, you know, now The Irishman by one of our most acclaimed directors is going to be a Netflix film, and this and that's going to be released in the fall. So this could potentially be, you know, we probably already should look at this as one of the big Oscar contenders for next year. Um, and it's going to be, you know, you know, Roma had a lot going against it, you know, the Netflix factor being one, but of course it was also a foreign film in black and white. But this time we're going to have a major American film director, Martin Scorsese, you know, making a major, major film. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see, you know, if that's going to I undoubtedly be a factor in next year's Oscars. I'm very sure that it will be. Um, let's see. So then next up, after we came back from that commercial break, Jose Andres and Diego Luna came out. Uh, they were there to introduce the Best Picture nominee, Roma. Um, great to see scenes from Roma, of course. Then uh, Sarah Paulson and Paul Rudd came out to present the Best Visual Effects Oscar. And I was so glad to see that this one did go to First Man. Very, very well deserved. Um, you know, like I was saying on the prediction special, you know, because you had some of these other films like Avengers, Infinity War, that just had so much visual effects. But the visual effects in First Man, you know, to recreate the Apollo moon landing and the way that they did so many of the sequences in this film were just extraordinary. And I'm so, so glad that they went with this kind of visual effects over the kind of really nonstop computer-generated effects of something like Avengers Infinity War. So, And thank God First Man did win an Oscar. I mean, I think most of us, and I know our good buddy Mark Johnson universally agreed that First Man, you know, just was shamefully you know, neglected in this year's Oscar race. So very, very good to see that it did win at least one Oscar. So then, um, let's see. Well, then uh, was the, the performance that everybody, I think, had been looking forward to, the one that was most talked about in advance, um, the best original song performance of Shallow from A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And I loved this performance. Um, they did it without, you know, a person coming out to introduce it. And they, and apparently Bradley Cooper choreographed uh, this performance, and they did it much in the way as the film was made by having it be a very realistic kind of perspective from on the stage. You know, most of the times when we see performances on awards shows of music and songs, we get them from the audience viewpoint. But this one was from from the stage, and it was very very cool how we just followed the camera out and watched as, you know, people brought the piano out. And Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga just walked out from their seats, you know, and took their spots on the stage. And this, it was a beautiful, beautiful performance of the song. Um, I mean, their voices were amazing, but it's their chemistry, of course, which is what was talked about so much. And we've seen it all through. I mean, it was, it's what's worked in the film so much. Um, and of course it's being talked about so much today um, because especially when Bradley Cooper walked around and joined Lady Gaga sitting at the piano and they couldn't have gotten any closer, you know, and, and then of course the camera coming in for that extreme close up on their faces. Uh, you know, everyone's been talking about the sexual chemistry there. A lot of rumors going about have been for a while, but then Lady Gaga has recently broken up with her fiance. So, uh, you know, and everyone's wondering what is Bradley Cooper's date thinking. Um, and I don't think they're married, are they? I think they're just uh, dating. But I think they've been together for a while or something. I might be wrong about that. But uh, there's certainly some chemistry there. And whether it's, you know, 
that they've just carried that from the film and, you know, and of course having that kind of connection through the film for so long, you know, it's, it's hard not to still have that, but it certainly came out and it was, it was just a, the greatest thing about that moment is it just reminded me of how much there is. Cause in, in a lot of ways, it seemed like a conclusion of their journey with the star is born. Um, and having followed their journey through the film and the making of that film and seeing what they achieved. And I thought A Star is Born was one of the greatest films of the year. I thought it was number three of this year. Um, you know, and my personal, like, best movie-going experience of the year. And that film worked because of the chemistry between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. So to kind of see it spill out onto Oscar stage and kind of have this final moment, which I think is kind of going to be the end, you know, of, of that, was, it, was, it was very moving. Um, I, just, I, I think it will go down as one of the greatest performances in Oscar history. Um, and uh, just it was really, really great to see that moment. Um, so following that, uh, let's see, we had Kiki Lane and uh, Kristen Ritter coming out to present the best live-action short film Oscar. Hang on a second. Oh, okay. And uh, that went to Skin. And again, that was another one I changed at the last minute, um, you know, and everyone had been kind of talking about the skin might win because it had recently, uh, you know, gotten made into a feature. So uh, it did win for live action short, even though a lot of us thought Marguerite might have won that. Uh, then it was time for the screenplay awards and Samuel L. Jackson and Brie Larson came out to present those. And they started with best original screenplay and it did go to Green Book. Uh, I mean, and that was one that was tough to predict. I mean, it was really – it was going to be the favorite or Green Book, um, and I really thought it was going to go to the favorite. Um, but Green Book did win Best Picture, and and after that win, I was really starting to think that, yes, this is where, you know, um, now Green Book's chances at winning Best Picture. I, I mean, really, I was losing faith in, uh, in um, Roma being able to win uh, Best Picture, but – Ah, but Green Book did win original screenplay. But then, you know, one of the great, great moments of the night, Best Adapted Screenplay was next, and it did go to Black Klansman. Um, Spike Lee has finally won a competitive Oscar, uh, and he was overjoyed. You could see him, you know, come to the stage, and he jumped into Samuel Jackson's arms. And uh, even though he read from paper, which I've criticized – he did have a very, very important uh, speech to give, and you heard a little bit of it there. And he was the one to be most blatantly political of the night, which was no surprise. We all know Spike Lee. Um, and, uh, you know, and he gave a very strong call to arms for 2020, which, of course, President Trump uh, referenced today and had to criticize Spike Lee for. But uh, I was just overjoyed. I mean, that was one of the moments that I was just beaming. You know, that Spike Lee finally has won a competitive Oscar and to see him so overjoyed and give the kind of speech that he gave about, you know, the history of his ancestors in America. Um, and then even getting that do the right thing line in there, too, uh, was just great. Um, and we'll get to later, you know, Spike Lee did, of course, create controversy later. But um, so so Black Klansman did win for adapted screenplay, the only Oscar it ended up winning, but very well deserved for sure. Uh, the next up, uh, Tessa Thompson and Michael B. Jordan, co-stars in the film Creed and Creed II, came out to present the Best Original Score Academy Award. And this one was kind of a surprise, um, but was a tough category to predict, too. 
um, because a lot of us could have seen it go into Terrence Blanchard for Black Klansman. Um, a lot of us were predicting Nicholas Bertel for a Beale Street talk, which I still think was a deserving winner. But it did go to Ludwig Göransson for Black Panther. Um, and again, I think this kind of got sweeped up in the Black Panther. I mean, it is a good score. Um, and certainly, you know, and I've been critical of a lot of the Marvel film scores, but they don't really stand out. Um, so, but I did love his speech too, where he was, you know, I didn't realize that like he and Ryan Coogler went back years, you know, and, and, and it's so great to see when two collaborators that started back like in college working on films now working on a film of such scale um, and then going on to win an Oscar. So that was pretty cool. But I think that was one of the upsets of the night that I just didn't see happening. But then it was time for the original song, Oscar, and that was presented by Chadwick Boseman and Constance Wu. Um, And again, this was probably the easiest category to predict. It, of course, went to Shallow from Star is Born. Um, and Lady Gaga gave a great, great speech up there. Um, you know, uh, she's always been inspirational in her message, um, and she didn't fail uh, last night in in delivering such a powerful message of, you know, of how hard you do have to work for your dreams, but the key to it is not about winning, but about never giving up. And I loved the camera going into the audience, getting Jennifer Hudson nodding her head, and you could see the emotion on her face. It was a very, very emotional moment, you know, and especially coming after that performance of Shallow. Um, so glad that Lady Gaga won the Oscar um, for this song. Um, and it was, it's the perfect choice. I mean, we talked about it, you know, in the prediction special and ever since The Star is Born came out, that the song was so integral to the film itself, you know, so it, it definitely deserved to win. I'm very, very happy um, um, to see it win. So with the music... Uh, awards presented. Uh, then out came John Bailey, Academy president. Um, and, you know, after all the controversy that the Academy had been going through, um, you know, this year, you know, I kind of expected like almost booze to, you know, <laughs> to kind of come out um, with John Bailey, you know, since he's kind of been criticized and especially after that decision of, um, and, you know, and, and again, I mean, you know, the Academy show used to open with the Academy president. Um, so at least they haven't done that anymore because especially when they're not as good, you know, John Bailey's certainly not the most electrifying speaker that there is. And, but he was there as, as the president usually does to introduce the in memoriam segment. And that segment, as always, very moving and powerful. I mean, it's always very sad and very moving um, to see so many faces that we lost in the past year. Um, and I know a lot of them might not be recognizable to a lot of people, but of course, Burt Reynolds in there was probably one of the most recognizable ones. Um, but either way, it's it's just it's always one of those moments that, in the craziness of Oscar night, you know, it's it's one of those moments that I just have to sit back and just you know reflect um, and realize the artists that we've lost. And I was really glad this year that they kind of went back to doing an orchestral performance um, of the In Memoriam segment. Uh, because it was really, really beautiful, and especially that they chose uh, the Leaving Home theme from Superman by John Williams. Um, but it was performed by Gustavo Dudamel and the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra, and using that theme, uh, it was just so moving. Um, so, because it seemed like in recent years, the In Memoriam segment, um, you know, w- they do have a lot of live performances. They did a good one last year with. Uh, um, God, the guy from Pearl Jam, I can't think of his name right now, and I'm ashamed that I'm not thinking of it, but 
some of the performances do come off really well, but um, anyway. So then right after they came after the commercial break, after the in-memoriam segment, was when they did a brief recap of the Governor's Awards and the SciTech Awards. And the one thing that I thought was kind of sad this year, you know, like I've always criticized that, you know, we recently just lost Stanley Donnan, um, which, if you don't know the name, he was 94, I think. Um, and, uh, and he was the director of my favorite musical of all time, Singing in the Rain, as well as many other musicals and great films. And uh, it reminded me of one of the very best Oscar moments um, was an honorary award for Lifetime Achievement that Stanley Donnan received at the 1997 Oscars when Titanic won so many awards. And what I loved about that moment was, you know, he was probably the only Oscar recipient to sing and dance his acceptance speech. And it was such a reminder of, of, of how much I miss those moments on the Oscar show. You know, when we got to stop the, you know, the honoring of the current films and the current awards and honor a true legend. And, and I miss that so much on the Oscars. I know like it again adds more and I know the governor's award ceremony, which has been going on for a decade now, allows more time to honor these recipients. But then what they do is they usually invite those recipients to sit in a special box in the Dolby Theater and then to be honored at least one more time there by, you know, drawing attention to them. But last night, all they did was one camera shot over to the recipients of the honorary Oscars after the recap. And they didn't even acknowledge them. So there was no like standing ovation. And most people probably didn't even know that they were being acknowledged. Sorry, my throat, my throat is dry. Um, so again, you know, that was kind of a sad kind of moment that, you know, obviously being saved for time, but, uh, Anyway, um, so the next up was Barbara Streisand, and like I said, when it was announced that Barbara Streisand was going to be a presenter, I thought that it was going to be a natural thing that she would be um, introducing a Star is Born, but instead she came out to introduce Black Klansman, and, and it's, it began to become obvious because Barbara Streisand has spoken out a lot recently and even did so with an album, um, and uh, what I loved what she was introducing Black Klansman she was saying that truth is especially important these days, and so I thought she gave a really, really great speech um, uh, in that moment uh, to introduce Black Klansmen. So then the four biggest awards were left to present, and then this is where the past winners came together, and I thought this was kind of interesting that they did this by bringing the lead, the best actor and best supporting actress of the previous year, Gary Oldman and Allison Janney, came out um, to present best leading actor. And uh, this was one that, as most of us predicted, did go to Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. And I thought he did give one of the best acceptance speeches of the night. And I usually don't include a lot of clips from the Oscar ceremony on the show itself because most of you all saw it, and they're easy to, to find and everything. But I wanted to replay this because I thought this was a really, really great speech uh, that he did give when he won Best Actor. And, uh, you know, um, and, you know and, and I, I still think Bradley Cooper – Bradley Cooper, excuse me – Christian Bale uh, was the deserving winner for Vice, and I would have loved to have seen Bradley Cooper win too. I mean, this is one of those years where, in any other year, you know, you could have taken out Bradley Cooper and he would have been the front runner, taken out Christian Bale and he would have been the front runner. But I guess you know, no one could resist the idea of of honoring the actor that played Freddie Mercury uh, in a movie about Queen, and uh, and I mean, in a kind of troublesome movie. 
Rami Malek was the best thing about that movie. So, And then he gave such a great acceptance speech. And then something that happened off camera that most people didn't see, but we saw the pictures today, is Rami Malek actually fell off the stage um, after giving his acceptance speech. Um, and paramedics actually had to come to the scene. He was okay, but uh, kind of an embarrassing moment. Um, and I think he held on to his Oscar the whole time, so I've got to give him credit for that. But here is uh, Rami Malek's speech when he won Best Actor last night. And the Oscar goes to Rami, Rami Malek. This is the first Oscar and nomination for Rami Malek. I, oh my God. Uh, my mom is in here somewhere. Uh, oh, I, oh, I love you. I love you, lady. My family, thank you for all of this. Um, I, you know, my dad didn't get to see me do uh, any of this. He's, he's not, but I think he's looking down on me right now. So uh, this, is, this is a monumental moment. One, I, I'm so appreciative to all of you, to everyone who has had a hand in, in getting me here, uh, to the Academy, to people who took a chance on me every step of the way, Graham King, Dennis O'Sullivan, everyone at Fox and New Regency, thank you guys so much. I may not have been the obvious choice, but I guess it worked out. Uh, <laughs> um, Thank you, Queen. Thank you guys for being, for allowing me to be the, the tiniest part of your phenomenal, extraordinary legacy. I am forever in your debt. Uh, um, my crew and my cast, I love you. You are my equals. You are my betters. I, I could have never been here without you. Um, I think about, I think about what it would have been like to tell little Bubba Rami that uh, one day this uh, might happen to him, and I think his curly-haired little mind would be blown. Uh, that kid was, uh, he was struggling with his identity, trying to figure himself out, and I think to anyone struggling with theirs and trying to discover their voice, Listen, we made a film about a gay man, an immigrant, who uh, lived his life just unapologetically himself. And the fact that I'm celebrating him and this story with you tonight is, is proof that we're longing for, for stories like this. I am the son of immigrants from Egypt. I'm a first-generation American. And... Part of my story is being written right now, and I could not be more grateful to each and every one of you and, and everyone who believed in me for, for this moment. It is something I will treasure for the rest of my life. Lucy Boynton, 
Uh, you're the heart of this film. You are beyond immensely talented. You have captured my heart. Thank you so much. Oops, sorry about that. But yeah, I, Rami Malek definitely gave one of the best speeches of the night. Um, you could definitely tell how much he was moved by this. Um, and just a really great moment um, of his winning Best Actor. Then there was one Best Picture nominee left to introduce, and that was Green Book. And this is where Congressman John Lewis and Amanda, Amanda Stenberg came out uh, to present. And uh, Congressman John Lewis got a huge standing ovation um, and had a very powerful introduction, you know, talk, you know, being such a key member of the civil rights movement, um, introducing Green Book. Then it was time to present Best Leading Actress, and Frances McDormand, last year's Best Actress, was paired with Sam Rockwell, last year's Best Supporting Actor, which was kind of a very cool reunion since they both won for three billboards from outside Epping, Missouri. And, uh, and this was probably, you know, it's being talked about as the upset of the night. Um, I think I'd mentioned on the prediction special that I thought this was a very distinct possibility. We all thought Glenn Close was going to win sort of a lifetime achievement kind of Oscar since The Wife was kind of not regarded as one of the best films of the year. But it wasn't meant to be. Glenn Close remains without an Oscar, and Olivia Coleman won the, the Oscar for The Favorite, and you could tell from her reaction how surprised and shocked she was. Um, and what I'm going to say about this is, you know, because I've always been critical of the, the Oscars when they've given awards that seem to be for like a lifetime achievement and that they're making up for past wrongs. You know, like I think of the year Al Pacino finally won an Oscar. It was for Scent of a Woman, which I know a lot of people like Scent of a Woman, but when you think about the films he should have won for, like The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two, I mean, Dog Day Afternoon, so many great performances. And then that year... I really felt that Denzel Washington should have won the Oscar for Malcolm X. I felt he really deserved it far more than Pacino's performance in Scent of a Woman. So I think this is another example that we're seeing here of the new Academy membership, that they're not going to give these kinds of, of lifetime achievement Oscars, and I think that's good. I mean, it would have been great to see Glenn Close get up there. It would have been a very emotional moment. Um, you, we've kind of seen her throughout the Oscar season um, winning other honors and and so it would have been great to see, but it was really great to see um, Olivia Coleman winning this Oscar um, and being so genuinely moved by it and giving such a you know great, hilarious speech, you know, saying up there it's genuinely quite stressful. This is hilarious and Oscar. Um, you know, and she did reference Glenn Close saying to be in this category with these extraordinary women. Glenn Close, you are my idol. This is not how it was meant to be. Um, you know, it was it was clear that she was deeply moved by it and and definitely unprepared uh, to give an Oscar acceptance speech. So, so from the standpoint of you know what the Oscars should be, you know they should be giving the honor for you know that year's films, and it shouldn't be just because because even when they showed some of the like if you follow the Hollywood Reporter, you know in the lead up to the Oscars they always um, you know typically release some anonymous Oscar voters ballots, and one of them was saying. They were voting for Glenn Close, but for Dangerous Liaisons, you know, <laughs> I mean, a film from the 80s, you know, and that's not what should be honored. They should be honoring that film and performance, and so the Academy got it right in this case. Olivia Coleman's performance in The Favorite was a more deserving performance than Glenn Close in The Wife. Um, so great, great moment to see. 
Then uh, Best Director and uh, Guillermo del Toro, last year's Best Director for The Shape of Water, came out uh, to present the award. And and this hasn't been mentioned a lot, but I I, I think what Guillermo del Toro said in his uh, presenting speech was actually one of the best moments of the night. And one of the things that I think has probably never been said like this at an Oscar ceremony and I think is so important to remember. And he – and I know I'm probably not going to get it completely right, but he basically said that to remind everybody that no matter what happens that night during the Oscar ceremony, that you're still walking out of here with the same films that you came in here with. And so the achievements that basically you did with those films are still the same and still worthy. And, and that is such a true statement. You know? And because for me, the Academy Awards is not about competition. You know? And I know we all get caught up in the predictions and we all start arguing about our choices of which is better. You know? but, but really when it comes down to it, evaluating art and saying that this performance is better than this performance. Like George Clooney years ago said it the best when he won that said, the only real true test of like giving a best performance Oscar is have everybody play the same role and then decide who's the best. But when you're trying to compare like, you know, Christian Bale playing Dick Cheney in Vice and Rami Malek playing um, Freddie Mercury in Queen and Bradley Cooper playing Jackson Maine in A Star is Born, um, you know, how do you compare? I mean, each of these films demand different things of their performers. They demand different things of their directors, their production designers, everything. So again, it's very subjective. And when it all comes down to it, I mean, this is the attitude that I take on as a filmmaker when obviously I haven't been to the level of Oscars, but I have had films and film festivals and film festivals typically give awards. And I go into those award ceremonies completely without expectation. And I don't build my whole happiness on whether or not I win an award because really the celebration was just having my film accepted into the film festival and that my film had an audience that it was presented. It was selected um, amongst a lot of other films uh, to be viewed and an audience was able to view it. And because at the end of the day, there's so many different reasons people vote on these awards and even the Oscars we've known about it and studied it for years you know, that it's often very political, it's often very personal because they have friends, you know, and you cannot base the quality of your, you know, or get your validation, you know, from awards. And uh, so I think what Guillermo del Toro said in that moment was so, such a wonderful reminder to everybody that, you know, just the fact that all of these people made these films and they were films of great distinction um, and that walking out of these awards, they're still going to have those films. And those films are still going to be just as good as they were when they got into the Oscars. So it was a great, great reminder, and I thank Guillermo del Toro for saying that. And then it ended up being a great moment by the fact that he presented Best Director because it did go to Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, so well-deserved, and they had a great embrace on stage. Um, and Cuaron now winning his second Best Director Oscar and becoming – like in the last six years, I think it's been a Mexican film director that has won, except for one time when Damien Chazelle won for La La Land. Um, so well-deserved. Uh, this was another pretty easy one to predict, um, even though I thought there might be an outside chance that Spike Lee might actually win. Um, it was very well-deserved for Alfonso Cuaron to win for Roma. Then Julia Roberts got the distinction of coming out to present the Best Picture Oscar. Um, and at this point, you know, like I was sitting there, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, 
because it could have gone in so many directions, and we knew this the whole lead-up. There were so many cases to be made for any one of these films to win Best Picture, and with this new preferential ballot voting system, it's almost become impossible to predict Best Picture. <laughs> but Best Picture did go to Green Book, which I was uh, I was very disappointed by. I mean, if I'm if I'm speaking personally, like I would have liked to have seen any of the other seven films winning, and they all would have been, you know, they all would have made history for different reasons, um, you know, because I mean, I really wouldn't have liked to see Black Panther win because, like, I mean, Black Panther was in my top twenty. I thought it was the fourteenth. I think I had fourteen on my best of the year list. I love Black Panther. I think it's a great, great film. Certainly one of the greatest Marvel films ever made. Um, I love what Black Panther has meant culturally, um, what it's meant for the film industry. And it would have it would have made a powerful statement as well, I mean, about embracing films that make over a billion dollars at the box office. Um, you know, so that would have been historic. If Roma would have won, which I think was the greatest film of this past year, um, it would have said a lot for embracing Netflix, the whole idea that the multiplex is really kind of going away for – it's not the place for independent artists with vision and wanting to make riskier films, but it's companies like Netflix that are giving the support to filmmakers to make films of true vision. Um, and it would have been the first foreign film to ever win a Best Picture Oscar, embracing the idea that, hey – there is a whole multitude of movies out there, not just that are not just, you know, it's not just America that's making great films. So I would have loved to have seen Roma win Best Picture. Um, a Star Is Born would have been a great film, you know, showing the the true dedication and achievement of artists like Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga to take a Hollywood formula and do something really exciting and extraordinary with it. Black Klansman would have been a great Best Picture choice. I thought that was the fifth best film of last year. Um, would have been a great moment to see Spike Lee, a Spike Lee film winning, um, and and probably the more timely film to talk about the state of race relations. Um, Vice would have been a great choice. Um, a film show such again using the advancement of film editing and and using all kinds of techniques that we just haven't seen in film before to tell an incredibly important story. But my point is there were so many choices that I thought would have been better choices than Green Book um, to win Best Picture. And I know this film does have people, but it's a very divisive film. Um, and Spike Lee backstage even gave it a few jabs. And, and one of the more controversial moments that I, when Best Picture was announced, Spike Lee got very upset and tried to storm out of the theater, wasn't let out. And then basically during the acceptance speech of Green Book, he turned his back to the stage. And then backstage, he had a lot more comments to make about, which I'll play in a little bit, um, about Green Book's win. Um, and uh, probably the funniest jab was when he, when he said that it seems like every time I'm up against a film where somebody's driving, um, I lose, you know, in reference to Driving Miss Daisy back in 1989 when his Do the Right Thing was not even nominated for Best Picture. Um, when so many of us, that was such a huge, like, slight. Um, and Spike Lee is getting a lot of criticism today for, you know, doing that and having such criticism about the Academy, given that the Academy did embrace Black Klansman and did give him a competitive Oscar. But I do share in his, 
you know, um, criticism of Green Book. And again, mine is not political. It has nothing to do with whether the, you know, the politics of, of how race is portrayed in the film. I mean, I do have my feelings about that. I don't feel that the film, I feel that the film is a safe choice. Like if I'm looking at the state, if I'm looking at a film that deals with race, I'd, I'd much rather honor a film like Black Klansman, which I think is much more revolutionary in what it has to say, and it's making a stronger statement than Green Book does. But Green Book just seems like an, just a safe choice. You know, like it's, it's very reminiscent of Driving Miss Daisy when it won. Driving Miss Daisy was a very safe choice. Um, in a year when I, when I thought films like Born on the Fourth of July, Do the Right Thing, uh, Field of Dreams, Glory, God, there were so many incredible films in 1989 that would have deserved to win Best Picture. And for me, the Academy Award for Best Picture, like, I think everybody kind of looks at it in a different way. For me, what I've always thought the Academy Award for Best Picture is to represent it's, – it's two things, I think. To represent – it's the industry saying this is the best of what we've done all year. And then I think it should also represent, like, what, are, what is a film that is taking really great steps forward in the medium? What's really advancing us beyond – because, I mean, it, it's like that as, as us as filmmakers. It's like, what, what good is it if we keep making the same kinds of films over and over again? You know, like, there are certain types of films that I could make in my sleep, you know, the movies that I could do very easily. But it's like, I want to challenge myself with each new film that I make. I want to be scared when I go into a film production and, and think about, you know, how can I really challenge myself with this next film? And so to me like the Academy Award for Best Picture should be something that is really revolutionary, something that is moving us forward, something that we haven't seen before. Green Book, I feel we've seen it before. I feel like we've been there. I feel like it's, 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 it's kind of a tired formula that, yes, it's, it's, it's not a bad film. Like I'm not, I'm not saying Green Book is a horrible film at all, but it's just an okay film. You know, like it's just it's, – it's okay. Like it reminds me of the year when the King's Speech won for Best Picture, when a film like The Social Network, which was such an incredible revolutionary film, a film that was alive on the screen, you know, and then the King's Speech, which again, not a bad film. It's an entertaining film. But again, the Academy Award for Best Picture, I'm sorry, no. <laughs> so I mean, when you look at a year like this when you had such revolutionary choices like a Roma. You know, a film that was unlike anything I think that any of us have seen, and showing what how a, an artist of great ability and craft can do with a personal story, and then revolutionize too just camera work and the visual image, storytelling. You know, like that movie, like. I'll be thinking about and remembering and cherishing far longer than Green Book. Or think of a film like Black Klansman, which is able to tell such an incredible story in such riveting ways. Um, Vice, which I already mentioned, um, using all kinds of techniques to break up the whole idea of narrative. Uh, great film editing, an intelligent, thoughtful film uh, with such an important message too. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to – the Academy Award for Best Picture does not have to be the most important film. It doesn't have to always be a political film. But I just want it – I think it deserves to be a film of great vision, a film of great craft, a film that really advances this art form. 
So that to me is why, why Green Book is a disappointing choice. And I think it represents that it's going to be incredibly difficult from now on to ever predict Best Picture and what the Academy – because see, you look at this Academy Awards last night, and they made so many like great choices, historical choices. You know, They gave Spike Lee his first Oscar. Uh, the two – for the first time, we had a, an African-American production designer, an African-American costume designer winning for a superhero film, completely revolutionary choices. They didn't go with Glenn Close as a Lifetime Achievement Award. Instead, gave it to Olivia Coleman. So we've got this new Academy membership, which is more diverse, more international, that are making such great choices in a lot of these categories, but then they do – Select something like Green Book, which seems more like a throwback to the Academy of old, you know, the kind that would usually make – I mean think about our old predictions in Best Picture. You know, we'd always say, well, this is kind of the traditional Academy safe choice, you know, and I, I'm tired of that. Like I don't think it should be about a safe choice for Best Picture. It should be something that really shakes up the medium, something that really – is new and revolutionary, and that's moving our industry forward, moving the craft and art of cinema in a new direction. And Green Book, I'm sorry, does not do that. Um, so that's more my criticism and why Green Book is such a letdown um, for Best Picture. And it just it kind of just ends up painting a confusing portrait of where the Academy is when you do have a year where you you do have such bold choices in these other categories. Um, and you kind of see them breaking out of some of the molds of the past, but then you get a safe choice like Green Book. So I don't know. That's, that's kind of my take on it. Um, but it's a film I do want to watch again and just, you know, I want to see. But it, it's just, you know, if you think back a couple of years ago when a, a revolutionary film like Moonlight wins Best Picture, um, it's just hard to kind of balance this kind of choice. And, and, and I think it's because of this preferential ballot you know, that it's, it, it ends up creating, I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's kind of my take on the whole Oscar ceremony. Like I said, it was an enjoyable, entertaining evening with a lot of great, there were still moments of surprise, so it wasn't all foregone conclusions. Um, it was entertaining. It was an enjoyable show. Um, so one of the things that you don't get to see a lot of, but if you look them up on YouTube, you can find a lot of the backstage moments uh, because basically after each Oscar winner, um, comes off stage. They do go backstage, and the press is there to ask them questions. And so I was going to play just a couple of these for you. Uh, one of my favorites was Spike Lee. You know, he came back there with his glass of champagne, which he said was his sixth glass of champagne. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, here you can hear when he, you know, is asked about Green Book and has a couple of digs against it. But uh, Spike Lee, after his uh, best adapted screenplay win uh, backstage. One of the winners for Adapted Screenplay for Black Klansman, Mr. Spike Lee. This is my sixth glass. And you know why. <laughs> We're going to start with 63 and then I'll go back to 248. Just give me a second to get a mic to them. <laughs> hey, Spike. How are you doing? I'm great. How are what you What is your doing? name? My name is Tanja Stedham. I'm from The Root. The Root. All right. So first of all, congratulations. 
Thank you very much. I want to say the Academy did the right things by giving you this, this award. Thank you um, very much. So uh, I actually recently interviewed Ron Stallworth, and he said that he couldn't imagine anyone else helming this film. And so I want to ask, what would you say to Ron now that you have this award for writing for this film? Well, first of all, he lived that life. He infiltrated the Klan. He talked to David Duke on the phone. He uh, was David Duke's bodyguard. And he lived to write a book to tell about it. We're gonna Next. Go <laughs> We're going to go to 248 and then over to 180. Right here. All the way in the back. Hey. How you doing? Great. Congratulations. Thank you. So does that you've mentioned do the right thing in your speech and with your accessories today. So does this make up for do the right thing not winning the Oscar for you right now? (laughs) I'm snake bit. I mean, every time somebody's driving somebody, I lose. But they, they, they changed the seating arrangement. <laughs> We're going to go over to 180 and then <laughs> over here to 95. But in 89, I didn't get nominated. So this one we did. All right, over here. Yeah. Uh, do you want to stand up, 180, so he sure. can see you? Yes. You. Over here. You. Hi. Yes, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Um, I just wanted to ask you, we saw a little bit of a reaction to the Green Book win. Can you give us your thoughts on that Best Picture win? Let me take another sip. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) We're going to come down here. Wait a minute. What reaction did you see? What What did I do? No, I thought it was courtside at the garden. The ref made a bad call. Courtside. 95. The world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. Nick's coming back next year. <laughs> 95 and then 146. Spike, right here. Right here, sir. What's up? How's it going? Good. Jonathan Landrum, uh, Associated Press. Uh, AP. AP? All right. <laughs> um, you've been a critic of the Academy you know, for some years. Um, how do you feel about the progression of black filmmakers, you know, after this year? Here's the thing. Without April Green, April Rain, excuse me, without April Rain, hashtag Oscar So White, and the former president of the Academy Award Motion Picture Sciences, Sherwin Isaacs, I wouldn't be here tonight. They opened up the Academy to make the Academy look more like America. It's more diverse. So that's why three black women if I counted correctly, won Oscars. That would not have happened without Oscar So White and Cheryl Boone Isaacs. Facts. Like my brother Jay-Z says, facts. We're going to go to 146 and then over here to 18. Hey, congrats. Spike, over here to your left. Stephanie Frederick. Hey, how are you doing? Congrats. Thank you. Um, That reaction we saw of you and Samuel Jackson, walk us through that just a little bit. Talk about that moment. Well, first of all, Samuel, I, Samuel Jackson and I went to the same college, went to Morehouse College. So I've known Sam from way, way, way back. He was in my school, school days. 
So it's a, we were very close, our families, and for him, my brother Samuel Jackson, to open up the envelope and say my name, it was a great thing. And uh, did I jump up on him? You did. <laughs> yes, you did. Let me take another sip. <laughs> no, it was all love. That was a, that was a genuine, genuine reaction. And uh, uh, my co-writers all, look, it's not just me. The people in front of the camera and behind the camera. And I was just, here's the thing, though. I had two speeches. <laughs> now, I'm going to call this, I'm keeping it 100. That means I'm keeping it real for those who don't live in Brooklyn, New York. 100. Had two speeches. One with the list of the people I was going to thank. And the other one was what you heard me say. So... I said to myself, self, your black ass not be up here again. <laughs> so let me go up the speech and I uh, not get to thank, read the, the one with the thanks. So I, I apologize for the people I didn't get a chance to think. I didn't get a chance to thank. We're going to go over 18 and then back yes. to 250. Right here, Spike. Yes. So... A lot of us have been with you since Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X. Yay, it feels good today. From back in the day. He's back in the day. But I have a different kind of question. You mentioned David Duke, the whole thing. You think he's watched the movie. And if he has or if he hasn't, what's no, your he, message he told, to him? David Duke told Ron Starr if you saw the film. What do you have to say to him? <laughs> We're going to go back to 250 and then to 55. <laughs> Thank you. Back here, uh, Lepakazo Sandoval, New York, Amsterdam News. And Amsterdam I'm in, News, yes. Yes, hey, hey. Historic. And I'm in this room because of Cheryl Boone Isaacs, FYI. So I was interviewing Robbie Reed, and she helped me compose this question. She told me that she was part of your A-team, and she told me, it was a really beautiful interview, what it was like in the early days. And so the question is, um, Spike, um, what uh, keeps you motivated after all this work? Well, I'm one of the blessed people in the world who gets to make a living doing what they love. It's simple. Most people go to their grave having worked the job they hated. That's it. <laughs> we're going to go to 55 and then we're going to wrap it up with 23. Yes. Yes, hi, Spike. How you doing? Uh, first of all, I'm born and raised in Minnesota. I love your Prince uh, uh, outfit tonight. Um, it's homage. Your homage, yes. It's homage. Uh, obviously, a lot said about Do the Right Thing in 89. How have you changed, do you think, as a filmmaker? If you made that film today, how might it be different? Or if you made Black Panther really, in 89? I do not answer hypothetical questions. The film was made when it was made. But the thing is, the film, I wrote that in 88. In 88, I was talking about gentrification. In 88, I was talking about uh, global warming. And that stuff, June 30th, this year will be the third anniversary of Do the Right Thing. And all the stuff we talked in that film is still relevant today. And we're going to wrap it up with 23. Right back here, Spike Tanya Hart. I told How you, you were doing? going to win that one. How are you doing? Yes, you did. You called it. <laughs> I called it. Thank you. Congratulations, though. Thank you so very deserved. much. So how has this film changed society? Because a lot of people did not realize 
that the Klan was still around. They didn't know when this film came out. They sort of know now, after last week and the week before, but how has this changed society? Well, that's a hard question for me to, to answer, but I do know that the coda of this film, where we saw homegrown, red, white, and blue terrorism, Heather Hare, her murder was an American terrorist act. When that car drove down that crowded street in Charleston, Virginia, and the President of the United States did not refute, did not denounce, the Klan thought right and neo-Nazis. And this film, whether we won Best Picture or not, this film, this film will stand the test of time being on the right side of history. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. So great, great words by Spike Lee and some comedic moments too, and certainly not keeping his opinions to himself about Green Book, which I actually do reflect. Ref got the wrong call, yes. And one more I'll play from backstage. I mean, I could play so many of these, um, but uh, another one great, great one backstage was Regina King uh, winning Best Supporting Actress for If Beale Street Could Talk. Here she was backstage. Okay, and just, just a reminder to leave those. If I call your number, leave the number up until you have a microphone in your hand. I'm going to start with 21 and go to 116. Thank you, everybody. Mm -hmm. Oh, Regina, congratulations. Thank you. First of all, my name is Margaret Crow with KNX Radio. Hey. The, what was it, how sweet was it to have your mom there in the front row with you? Obviously, you gave much praise to her during your acceptance speech. What, what did it mean to you to have her there tonight? Um, it's hard to like put it in words really quickly. Um, I feel like um, kind of like one of those full circle moments. Uh, because so much of uh, the character Shannon Rivers was mapped uh, or inspired by my mother and my grandmother. So to have her there, my family was there, my sister Raina, my son Ian were there. They, they're both here tonight, and it goes by so fast, and you want to thank so many people, and your mind just goes blank. And, um, you know, my mom was like the lighthouse right there, and... Mm, just everything. Thank you. So we're going to 116 and then back to 258. Congratulations. Right here. Regina. Right here. Right, Congratulations. Right in front, right in front. My real question is, will you adopt me? But yeah. <laughs> at a time when we talk about anger and blame and placing shame on people, yes. how was it to get to say those words and play somebody who believed, you know, to the depth of their soul yes. about love. Love, persevering. I mean, um, it's, if Bill Street could talk, it's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful novel before it was a film. Thank you. Before it was a film, you might be clapping for somebody else, but I'm going to take that thank you. Um, <laughs> um, and where we are, is, to your point, where we are right now, I think that it's a film that um, is, breaks through a lot of the sections that are exist right now. 
You know, love is that thing that pushes us through trauma. You know, this is an urban tragedy, but tragedy is a is is something that is experienced no matter what sex you are, no matter what race you are, and love and support is usually what pushes us through, which gets us to the other side. So I think this film is so needed right now because we need a lot of help getting through the other side and seeing um, how how much we are like. We are different in a lot of ways, absolutely. Our circumstances are so different, but it, to the core, to the core, we're really a lot alike. We're going to 258 and then 63. Good evening, Regina King. Regina. I'm still looking at your Right here. How yeah. are you? You look beautiful. <laughs> thank I saw you. the film in Harlem. Oh, Congratulations. I am Tanisha Laverne Grant with BlackInAmerica.com. My question is to you, 400 years ago this year in 1619, the first slaves were brought to Jamestown. Mm. Talk to me a little bit about what it means to stand here today winning your first Academy Award, the same place where, you know, Hattie McDaniel and so many others uh, who may have been discounted. Well, I mean, it, it's, I mean, I think it kind of piggybacks on what we were just saying in the last question, um, that um, it means so much for me personally, because you guys aren't able to witness this, but the love and support and the lifting up that I have received on my journey as an actor in just this last five months, how many people have been rooting for me, and it has not just been... Um, black people, although, you know, the black family has always lifted me, but it's just a reminder of when Hattie McDaniels won, she didn't win just because black people voted for her. She won because she gave an amazing performance, and especially then, the Academy was was not as reflective as it is now. We're still trying to get more reflective, still trying to get there. But um, I feel like I've had so many women that have paved the way, are paving the way. And I feel like I, I walk in their light and I also am creating my own light. And there are young women that will walk in the light that I'm continuing to shine and expand from those women before me. You know, I'm blessed and highly favored. Yeah. We're going to go to 63, and then I unfortunately do have to wrap it up. I'll do it with 23. Hi, Regina. I'm Sandra Stedham from The Roots. Congratulations. Hi. Thank you. Yes, very well deserved. Thank you. So I'm thinking about that very climactic scene when you confronted you and Emily Rios. Yeah. And it's, it's such a visceral and emotionally route scene. So I wanted to ask you, what, what particular source did you draw from to portray such emotion? You know, I, all of us, we just pulled on being women. And we have all been in, if we have not experienced a violation on that level firsthand, we have lifted a sister up through that. And that, you know, even all the way from when the abuelitas came in and escorted her off, that was something that was universal with every woman, woman that had something to do with this production. The um, understanding um, and the need to make sure that it was very clear in this story that we all knew that she was raped. It wasn't funny, but she was raped. And we hold each other up 
through a secret that shouldn't be a secret so often. Um, that's the beautiful thing about the Me Too movement, and the Me Too movement has, um, I think, have gone has gone even beyond that with creating um, opportunities for women to find their voice even beyond just being violated sexually, but being marginalized, being violated um, when you have put in the work to be at the table and being denied a seat at the table. This movement has allowed us and has inspired us to say, no, I am supposed to have a seat at that table. So that energy was going on throughout the production of that film, of this film. Barry supported that and lifted it up as well. And that's the thing, when you have men and women working together, um, pretty amazing things happen. And last question. Thank you. Right here, Regina. Over here, Tanya Hart. How are you? Hey, I told Tanya. you you had that winner's dress on. You did say that. Congratulations. Yeah. If Beale Street Could Talk was a very important part of, of American literature before this movie, what do you think James Baldwin would say right now and feel about this win and about the movie? I think one word, something that he would say often, amen. Thank you so much, and congratulations. Thank you. Some great words by Regina King, well-deserved winner last night for Best Supporting Actress. And like I said, there were a lot of backstage moments I would love to have played. You can look all those up. They're pretty much on YouTube now. Um, but it's kind of its own addition to the Oscars that should be watched. So anyway, so that's pretty much my recap of last night. Like I said, it was an enjoyable Oscar night. Um, I think the Academy should be happy that they did end up with a shorter ceremony. Um, and I sure hope that next season we don't get quite all the attempts at trying to mess with the show. <laughs> um, like I said, I'm not sure what I think of not having a host. I think they could do without it. Um, but, uh, but one of the things that some people might forget, a decision that's already been made, and unless they change this, is we are going to get a shorter Oscar season next year, um, which is one of the things that like was another response to criticism that by the time the Oscars are presented, there's been so many precursor awards, and it seems like the award season goes on for so long. But next year, we're actually supposed to get the Oscars presented um, February 9th. Uh, so that means we're going to get nominations announced on January 13th. It's going to be a Monday. Um, on January 13th of 2020, when the next Oscar nominations will be announced for the 92nd Academy Awards. And we'll have a much shorter Oscar season. And, of course, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, like there's already a lot of the precursors that do present before the Oscars already. In January, we get the Golden Globes, of course, and the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Um, but there may be some others. It'll be interesting to see how they jockey their awards. And, and what that does for the, for the Oscars as far as trying to present them much earlier. Uh, so I'm, that one I am looking forward to. I think that could be a very interesting new uh, change. Um, but that has been announced that those will be the new dates for the next Academy Awards. So it will be interesting to see if they do stick with that. But the one thing I do hope for is that they just kind of leave well enough alone right now. You know, like I, think, I hope they've learned a number of lessons from – this year's Oscar season of trying to shake things up so much and making such poor decisions like a popular film Oscar, like 
presenting awards during the commercials. Um, yeah, I just I'm hoping for a lot wiser decisions <laughs> for the next Academy Awards. But anyway, that's that's enough for the show tonight. That's my recap of the 91st annual Academy Awards, and that brings to an end another season of coverage here on Oscar Oscar, our 12th season of Oscar coverage. And I know we didn't do a lot um, this year, uh, and I know over the past few years uh, it's been a much more limited show that we've done here, but I, I can't tell you again how much I appreciate that those of you that still seek this show out, and even with the changes in the schedule, different shows, that and people still look forward to our prediction special. And I'm so glad to have Garney, Jamie, Mark, and Chelsea would have been there. Hope she'll join us again next year. Um, still doing these shows, and what I love about, and I say this every year, what I've loved about the internet especially, um, and it's it's brought, it's bringing together, you know, when when I grew up as a kid, and I was so passionate about the Oscars, and didn't seem to have a lot of people around me that I thought shared that passion, and was kind of looked at as kind of, you know, kind of weird or something like that. It's been so refreshing to be able to connect with so many people during this time of year that share that same passion and really get that this is our Super Bowl, this is what we love, um, and what it truly is for me, a celebration of the art form that I love to work in and that I've always loved to experience, something that has meant so much to my life. And for me, like I said, it's not about competition. It's not about who wins or who loses. It's not about who wears what, but it's about having a huge stage and one night of the year when the entire craft of filmmaking is honored and and hopefully it educates people to movies that they should see. That's why the whole idea of a popular film Oscar is so abhorrent to me because people are already seeing those movies, you know. But they should be seeing movies like Roma, like Vice, like Black Klansman, like The Favorite, you know, movies that deserve to find an audience, movies that have that are original. You know, um, because we're experiencing right now, we're experiencing a lot of changes in the film industry. You know, the whole idea of distribution and the whole idea of where some of our major filmmakers are able to make their films. Um, this was a big year for that. You know, uh, Roma, you got even though it didn't win Best Picture, it still got 10 nominations, tied for the most nominations of any film this year, and was honored with three. Um, and it's really sparking a new conversation. And it's really – we're seeing this change now, and it's just going to continue. The multiplex and the movies that we spend money to go out to see are going to more and more just be the big kind of blockbusters, um, the superhero kind of films, the movies that are safe bets you know, to make money. And, and we've seen it already years leading up to even before the streaming platforms came out, that there were filmmakers like Steven Soderbergh that had to bring you – know, and actors that were now going to cable and HBO and Showtime and – cable channels like that that were funding movies and now we have netflix you know which has huge pockets and is and the good things that they're doing is they're actually funding these movies so that filmmakers of real originality and real vision can bring their visions to the screen and get supported because the major studios in this day and age right now are not going to support these filmmakers like this and get their films out to the big screen so yeah, I mean, I still want to see these movies in the theater. That's what I want to do the most. But, you know, unless the studios are willing to take more risks and and give opportunities to more people than just Christopher Nolan or Paul Thomas Anderson, um, then we need pe- 
you know, platforms like Netflix that, I mean, now look, one of the big ones that we're just seeing right now, we just saw a commercial for it during the Oscars for The Irishman. That's Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, probably the greatest film, living film director that we have, making what's probably going to be one of the most anticipated films of this year. And it's Netflix that is having to fund that movie because studios, they want the sure thing. They want to produce more and more Marvel superhero films. They want to do remakes, retreads. And this art form deserves far better than that. This, this art form deserves originality. You know, look at a film like Roma. Look at a film like Vice. Look at a film like A Star is Born. Um, look at documentaries like Won't You Be My Neighbor, um, Black Klansman. So many great films of originality and great stories. Give these movies a chance. That's what the Academy Awards are for. They should be honoring the movies that people may not be aware of and say, you know what? I'm going to try to watch this movie tonight, and you know what? I bet you're going to be moved. I bet you're going to learn something new. I bet you're going to see something that you hadn't seen before, and I think you're going to be a little better because of it. Anyway, that's my final pitch. So thank you all. This will conclude our coverage here on Blog Talk Radio for this season. Again, we're now just a seasonal show. Um, it's just it's, – it's not something that I can devote every week to like I used to. Um, but I, I will be doing – I do plan at some point this year – um, to do because this is the 30th anniversary of one of the great film years, 1989. And I was mentioning it tonight with Driving Miss Daisy when it won, and winning over so many other films that year that were so amazing. And I, I, I would like to do sort of a special show celebrating the movies of 1989. So maybe this summer or sometime when I've got some free time, um, I'll put in a special show or two about that. So you can keep checking into BlogTalkRadio.com/OscarOscar and just see. But, but. The show will go back on hiatus now, and we will be back uh, probably end of November, uh, beginning of December, when it will be time to do this all again. And I just hope we have a great film year. Um, I can tell you already one of my most anticipated films is The Irishman coming out in the fall. Um, but uh, here's to a great film year in 2019, and I look forward to joining you all again. And I again thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this show. I appreciate all your, your wonderful words and I love, and I really appreciate that you still find value in the show. You still find entertainment in the show. And it's been an honor and a privilege to do this show for 12 years. I really, really have enjoyed it. Um, being able to talk about this passion, talk about film, talk about the Oscars. Uh, it's great to be able to share it with so many of you. So thank you so much. And I thought of no better way to conclude the show tonight than the, the performance that everyone's talking about, and I think one of the best musical performances of recent Academy Awards. And, and, and like I said, how fitting it is to kind of see a conclusion to a creative achievement take place on Oscar stage last night. So we'll close it out tonight with the beautiful performance of, of the Oscar-winning song Shallow, performed by Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga from last night's Oscars to close it out this Oscar season um, on Blog Talk Radio slash Oscar Oscar. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and here's to a great 2019 with the movies.
It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.